not you may be surprised to learn we are not the the first ones to begin playing christmas music this year no no just two weeks ago on august 16th a pret-a-manger in new york started playing christmas carols in their store now this is four months more than four months before the actual christmas holiday yeah they call this christmas creep stores and restaurants moving the christmas season a little bit earlier each year if this trend continues one day the christmas season will begin so early next year's Christmas decorations will occur on the previous Christmas. Christmases will overlap, and we wanted to calculate exactly when that would happen. Joining us now is statistician and mathematician Mike Nothnagel. We have given him data points. The earliest Christmas uh, decorations or carols have occurred over the last several years, and we're going to extrapolate the year in which this will happen. What year will the Christmas decorations be December 24th of the previous year. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Is, yeah. It, is that, can we do that now? Uh, sure. All right, yeah, All plug right, it, plug it, it in. All right, so so I would want the year, the day number to be negative, how many days? Let's see, negative one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, let's see if this works, he says. All right. I'm going to go low tech here and do this on paper. Is that the math alarm going on? <laughs> I think, yeah. <laughs> My time is up. Okay, so I want to do that, and I want to divide it by three. All right. Okay, we got an answer. Okay, right, so tell us, tell us the year in which the next year's Christmas decorations will go up on the previous year's Christmas. According to the model, that will be in the year 2099. Okay, wow. <laughs> 2099. We will we will have Christmas uh, Christmas decoration overlap. Yes, 2099 will be the year of simultaneous Christmases. Do you have a th- Do you have a, like a, a an equation there, like a, like a I yeah. don't know. You do like an E equals M C squared. Um, it's not that, but yeah, it's yeah. um, oh. it's just a. Li- <laughs> You wanted me to use that one? Well, why say so? Now i got to do this all over again. My God. So I used X as the the year, and then Y was the day number of the date that they showed up. Uh-huh. So the equation is Y equals negative 3X plus 6291. Negative 3X plus 6291. So I plugged in negative 7 for Y and then solved for X. Well, this is very exciting to know when we when we reach the the Christmas singularity in twenty nineteen. Christmas singularity, yes. The wormhole will open. The sleigh will fly through. And will this destroy the universe? I think is probably just yes or no, Mike. I think that's a yes. Okay. All right. Mike Nothnagel is a professor at the Culinary Institute of America. This is the last weekend of the U.S. Open tennis tournament, and there was a great article in the New York Times by Stuart Miller talking about all the crazy rituals and superstitions that tennis players use before a game. Now, the weird things they do, I think uh, most players chalk it up to luck, but what if there's also real uh, physiological, scientific reasons that these superstitions are, are helping? 
Online with us now is Dr. Peter Lechman. Now, what we're going to do is we are going to fire off these superstitions uh, we just read about. The hope is that you will be able to explain something scientific that's actually going on. Okay, first off, there's a pro player uh, from the 80s uh, named Tim Mayotte who ate uh, three quarters of a pint of chocolate chip ice cream before each game. He threw away the rest. He did this every day at the Australian Open. Is there any possible benefit to this? Okay, so there's three answers to that question. One is absolutely no physiologic benefit in terms of there being a, a, a medical chemical change that happens in your body by eating three uh, quarters of a pint of ice cream before a game. Absolutely not. Okay. okay. So that's one. If you view psychology as an arm of medicine, which it is, there's a psychological benefit to rituals in general. And there's validity to using rituals to calm your nerves, to focus yourself, to cause you to perform better. And there's data and studies to show that people who engage in rituals or subscribe to a superstition will actually perform better on a given task. A little unclear why that happens, but we think it's due to um, calming nerves, to increasing focus, increasing uh, emotional stability, increasing confidence. Okay. So that's, that's number two. So that's sort of medical. And number three is, you know, you always feel kind of good after eating some ice cream. It's kind of nice in your tummy. You feel warm and, and uh, or, you know, warm and happy from the sweetness. And that might, might uh, calm you down a little bit, take away some of the jitters, and make you perform better. Could, could a massive surge of, of sugar in your, uh, in your body, could that be helping him? No, no. It's very transient. Uh, it helps in the moment. You know, if you ate the ice cream between serves, it would give him a little, a little burst for the next uh, time he lunges after a ball, and it would be gone. So absolutely not. I would like to see that. Yeah, yeah. I think that should be a new game, actually. Just balance the ice cream on your head and eat it between serves. Another ritual we read about involved Andre Agassi, who forgot uh, his underpants. He didn't have any underpants before a match. Uh, and he went, you know, commando the whole match. He won, and then for the rest of the tournament, didn't wear underpants. What's going on there? Well, I mean, it's kind of nice to get aired out a little bit. Maybe he felt a little freer, a little faster, had a little bit of lunge. You can almost see a little sort of physiologic uh, medical thing going on with that. Uh, but barring that, again, it's more of a ritual. He, he convinced himself that that worked because he won the one time he did it. And so when you subscribe, when you look back onto a ritual the next time and you perform that ritual, it, again, it focuses you, it calms you. Uh, it makes you think you're in control of the situation. It gives you the illusion of control, even though you're in a totally uncontrollable situation because some guy's whacking a ball back at you at 100-plus miles an hour. Uh, this is maybe more a question for uh, a physics question than a than medicine question, but could there be a um, kind of pendulum uh, balancing effect that uh, <laughs> might occur? Well, you know, maybe depending on, on the person's individual physiology, perhaps you could actually get some extra momentum if you had enough of a pendulum. Yeah. Yeah. We can only assume that's what it was then. I, I think it's really fair. Okay. Serena Williams, we, we, who we all know, um, she ties her shoes exactly the same way before uh, each match and wears the same pair of socks throughout a tournament. She won't wash them as long as she's winning. Uh, keep in mind, a Grand Slam event lasts two weeks. So what, what could possibly be, be helping her there? Yeah, so it's, it's a couple things. One is they might smell so bad that it motivates her to perform well 
win quickly and get the hell out of the smelly socks. Mm. Could there be any benefit to the odor or bacteria or mold, anything that's kind of growing in those socks, fungus, that uh, for a short time is beneficial to a person? You know, Prince Ludwig, I believe, in Prussia, slept over a uh, horse stable, feeling that there were powers to him as a ruler, which were achieved from inhaling the smell of dung on a daily basis, <laughs> horse dung on a daily basis. So similar to that, perhaps Serena really gains power from the dung smell of her socks. Wow. I, I have read that um, the riders in the Tour de France, you know, they all shave their legs, but they, they will not shave uh, right before an important stage because they want to conserve all their energy and they believe that shaving their body will be producing, it will be spending energy growing their hair back and uh, will rob them of what they need uh, to, to cycle up the hill. I guess, as a medical professional, how dumb is that? About as dumb as it gets. These guys get so much extra energy from all the blood doping and steroids <laughs> and other products they're taking that it totally trumps any energy depletion from a little hair growth. Well, Dr. Lechman, this is great. Thanks. I'm always glad to help. We get a lot of questions from you in the the how-to email box, and um, we're going to knock out a few of them right now with uh, a little Ask a Kid in the Hall. Yeah, this is where Dave Foley from Kids in the Hall and News Radio fills in as our go-to expert to answer all your questions. He's an expert on, on everything. Dave, let's start here. Becky, uh, Becky has a question. Uh, how do you start a flea circus? Uh, how do you start a flea circus? Usually with a motivational speech. Oh. Yeah, because uh, the fleas, I don't know if you know this, um, they're, they are difficult to get going. You're quite right in asking how do you just, you know, it's important... Uh, to sort of get pep them up, because uh, they're they're traditionally they can incredible leaping skills, right? But uh, absolutely not self starters, not at all. Well, they're of all the performance uh, beasts, they they lack that motivation. The right? flea, yes, yeah, they do. I mean, obviously, they don't. You know, they're passengers. That's you know, basically, that's what a, that's a flea's gig is being a passenger, right? You know, yeah. and a parasite. So they, you know. They're not, you know, they're not the most uh, proactive. We got a question from Eric. Um, Eric has an etiquette question. Mm -hmm. If you are sitting down and a woman enters the subway car and you can't tell if she's pregnant or just slightly rounder in the middle, how do you vacate your seat without saying something that indicates you believe she's pregnant? You don't want to offend her if she's not. Uh, I believe it's important to surreptitiously take a blood sample. Okay. Uh, run a quick analysis, mm -hmm. and if that can't, if that doesn't work, a, a quick gynecological exam, Perfect. and then if if yeah. everything turns out all right, you give her your seat. Okay. Bryn, Bryn wrote in. Bryn is starting her freshman year in high school, and uh, wonders if you have any tips for the uh, school year. Uh, enjoy it, because in my experience is this will probably be your last year in high school. Uh, so have a good time, make some friends. And prepare to move on, because really, you don't want to waste your whole life in high school. Go get them, Bryn. Yeah. All right. Um, here's a good question. This is from Erin. She says uh, that she noticed that the Minnesota Zoo just mm -hmm. got uh, some new giraffes. 
She <laughs> wants to know, how do you transport a giraffe? Ah. It came from Wisconsin, if that helps. <laughs> how do you how do you transport a giraffe in Wisconsin? Uh <laughs> It is one of the. I actually do know for a fact that it is one of the most difficult animals to transport once it has reached full height. Uh, I actually had this conversation with people at the uh, San Diego Wild Animal Park recently. Oh. Where they said generally they try to ship drafts when they are uh, very young because otherwise it becomes incredibly expensive because you can't put them on a plane. Yeah. Uh, they're too tall for a plane. And uh, they need to be, you know, transported in something that will accommodate their uh, their lengthy neck. So, so it's it's generally the the goal is uh, to transport them before they are at full height. So it's like a, a ship in a bottle. You can you have to yeah. build it in the zoo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why they tend. Yeah. They tend to try and, you know, breed in house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. We got a question from Ty. Ty says uh, she's lucky enough to have a wonderful gentleman caller who showers her with compliments. Well, it's very flattering. I constantly find myself at a loss for what to say in response, and I start feeling silly around the eighth thank you. So how do you take a compliment? Uh, and also she asks, how do you take a lot of compliments? Well, uh... At a certain point, first of a gentleman caller, she's obviously dating a riverboat gambler. <laughs> um... So they are they are pretty quick and and uh, with their compliments, uh, but I, I I do understand your point. I'm, I remember for years I couldn't take a compliment, and it was a girlfriend of mine that finally said, "You know what? Here's what you do: you just say thank you." But after a certain point, um, I think compliments can be, become a form of abuse as well, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just uh, I think that uh, that person is just a thank you whore, and mm-hmm. just it's not about you anymore. They just want to be thanked over and over again. Can it, can we role play? Can I give you a compliment? And, sure. Okay. You you have beautiful blue eyes. Thank you. That's, That's all you got to do with this compliment. Because I used to be when I would get a compliment, me I would make some joke, uh-huh. or you know, and I would and I would deflect it, and then I then I found out that that is apparently rude, <laughs> <laughs> and hurts the person that's complimenting you. You know. Mm. You yeah. have soft, warm hands. That's uh, thank you. <laughs> We got, a, we got an email from Paul. Paul listens to our show while uh, cleaning swimming pools in Florida. Paul, these next 15 seconds are for you. Do you think when Paul's done at the end of his day, he takes that long-handled little net and goes uh, looking for butterflies? You know, maybe uh, that is the 10-foot pole. The proverbial 10-foot pole that a lot of people wouldn't touch other things with. Do you think there was a moment when the guy was cleaning the pool and someone came over and said, Hey, what about this? And he's like, I wouldn't touch that with this. Yeah. Would you Would you touch that with, with your 10-foot pole? No, I wouldn't touch that with the 10-foot pole. That's what I said, with this. Still it's so much We are still collecting your Toilets of the Week. Get your nominations to howto at npr.org. All right, Becca, tell us about your toilet. Okay, I'm talking about a toilet that's located in uh, mid-city New Orleans at a bar called Pals. Um, What's special about this toilet is when you go in, there's actually two toilets in there, and they're not separated by anything. They're sitting right next to each other. They're about 
I'd say nine or ten inches apart. <laughs> and it's actually a really nice bathroom. There's flowers in there, and there's all sorts of um, pictures of sexy men. Like, there's a really large naked picture of Burt Reynolds. Uh-huh. You oh. can't see his stuff, but he's got his, like, legs positioned over it. Is it and the one where he's on his side? Yes, exactly. I know yeah, that we picture. We know that picture. Yeah. Of course. So that's in there, and then there's just in the corner two toilets right next to each other. And the place is called Pals, you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's I guess you could bring your pal in there and hold hands while you uh, go to the bathroom. What Are they facing the same direction? Yes, they are facing exactly the same direction. Because I think maybe what you could do is you could do races. Mm-hmm. Yes. You could sit next to the person and then ready, set, go. Ha- have you ever been in there when two people are using the, the side-by-side toilets at the same time? You know, it, it, it's my local bar, and so I live in Mid-City, so it's usually the last place I go um, if I'm going out. So I can't say that I've never seen it, but I can't speak to a specific time that it happened either. This has happened to me before, where there's men's rooms that will have a urinal and also a toilet mm-hmm. and a lock on the door. Oh. And what happens is you'll go in there and some guy didn't lock the door. Oh, yeah. And then once you're in there, what do you do? Have you ever been in there when he's like, oh, come on in? Yes. That, uh. I used to work at a place like that and, yeah. and people complained about it a lot. That wouldn't happen in this situation because I think that you go in and you lock the door. And I also think people go in as buddies. So I don't know what happens when they go in. No, nothing. No one ever prepared us for that. Right. I don't think it's in any book what you're supposed to do there. So what do you do? Well, you don't want to. You don't want to be rude to so a guy. So you go to the bathroom, <laughs> and then he leaves, and then some other guy comes in, and the cycle repeats. <laughs> yeah, I'm familiar with that. Oh. It sounds terrible. Well, congratulations, Becca. You have this week's toilet of the week. You know what? I'm so proud. Thank you. That does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian? I learned that we have about 86 years before uh, next year's Christmas and this year's Christmas occur at the same time. It's almost—it's like a Christmas eclipse. I, I mean, when you think about like a double Christmas, a lot of things on on Christmas they make more sense as a double. Like this, this—we have one stocking, but really we're supposed to have two stockings. Yeah. Well, my understanding is that the tradition of stockings began with a pirate captain who had a peg leg, so he only needed the one sock. So he, he hung it on his fireplace. Just, just to dry, yeah. And uh, Santa just thought it was a good place to put presents. This fr- Santa's first night out, and he was out on the sea, and that's his first stop, and he's like, oh, well, that's convenient. I'll just put stuff in this guy's sock. Mostly the crappy presents, because that's what goes in stockings. Yeah. I've got some oranges and uh, some candy, yeah. and here's some razors. How to Do Everything is produced by Blythe Haga with technical direction from Lorna White. Our interns this week are Heather Barta and Alex Cook. Great work, Heather and Alex. Uh, also, you may have heard a promo that we were going to talk about jury duty on today's show. We're uh, we're moving moving that segment to next week. So uh, if you get if you are currently waiting to be called, yeah. Um, we apologize, but you're doing your civic duty. Keep sending us your questions and toilets. You can send them to howto at npr.org. Our website is howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks.